0: Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast with me, Angie Mazzetti. Well, I'm so excited to bring you this week's guest and it's the up and coming leading conductor, Karen Nevrin, who has recently taken up an appointment with Winston-Salem Symphony Orchestra in the United States as their assistant conductor. But what a time to be embarking on such a high profile job. She is so focused on a career conducting though that I've no doubt we will be hearing a lot more from Karen's successes in years to come. She studied music in Trinity College in Dublin and conducted gospel choirs to fund her conducting education in London and elsewhere, which she'll be telling us all about shortly. But the story of what sealed the deal for her in the current new position, apart from her amazing talent, is a good one and involves duct tape and a sewing kit. I began by asking Karen about her new appointment. So, Karen Ebring, you're very welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. It's lovely to have you on the, on the show.
1: It's great to be here. Thanks so much.
0: So tell us a little bit about you're very young, uh, but you've got a fantastic new job lined up in America. Tell us about that.
1: So I just turned 30. So I'm, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling young, even though I know you'll laugh at that, but a big milestone in the birthdays. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting, out weathering the storm in Ireland, but have an assistant conductor position lined up in North Carolina, where I was just about to move to before all of this happened. So I'm working remotely at the moment, and it came about just through sort of a series of chants. I was in England uh, just about this time last year, the end of July, beginning of August, and at a summer school called Dartington in the south and wonderful teacher there Timothy Redmond and from The moment we kind of met we were getting on like a house on fire and he was just taking up music director with winston-salem symphony and he said you know you must let me know in america maybe something will work out and we could work together and the piece of music on the second week was a stravinsky piece called the ride of spring and it just so happened that that was his debut piece of the orchestra in october so he called and said look i don't have an assistant it's my first um big concert in the hall with different parameters any chance that you would come down we'll fly you down for the week and could you act as my assistant and of course the week went just brilliantly I felt like I was part of this amazing family that just slotted in so well um there's there's a funny story which I'll tell you in a minute about the middle of the week which I think sealed the deal and then there was a a series of events and by Christmas I had been offered the position which is usually uh, you know posted and then auditioned and series but uh, I was offered it so no complaints there um and that's hopefully where I'll be for the next four years or so
0: Brilliant. Now, I'm going to talk to you about your career to date and your education. But first, tell us, what does an assistant conductor actually do?
1: Funny, a great question and kind of is there one answer? Not really. It really depends on the person that you're working with. But the basis of it is that you're on call for everything. So I would be there to be the extra pair of eyes and ears. And that might sound funny because you think, well, can't the conductor hear everything? But depending on the hall you're in, the acoustics change. So my job is to be picking up everything that the conductor doesn't pick up. And then oftentimes, which happened actually in what was the trial week but we didn't think was the trial week in the middle of it Tim just turned around and said any chance you can conduct the end of this part and I didn't know that he was going to ask me that so I had to hop up on the podium and do it and I got a little clap and it was really funny one of the principals acting violin said gosh we thought you were just sitting there for the week we didn't realize you could actually conduct And I got a little round of applause. So that, that was funny. But yeah, you sort of have to be there for everything. There's instances then where, you know, conductor can be delayed with air travel or travel in general or be sick. And you have to be ready that whatever Friday, Saturday night to take on the concert. And then in my case, I will be doing a lot of education working with youth orchestra programmes, training other conductors to work with youth orchestras and conducting a lot of the pops and education concerts. So it's, uh, it can change from job to job, but that's pretty much it.
0: But it's a full symphony orchestra.
1: Full symphony orchestra, yeah, anywhere between 60, 80, 90 musicians, that week I was there was 90 musicians, it was a particularly big piece of music, Um, and then often you'd have choir involved in that as well, and their youth orchestra programme, they actually have six youth orchestras, it's one of the best programmes in the country, from little kids right up to to teenagers, so it's a huge organisation that runs like clockwork, and you have to, it's your job to start in, it's your job to know before anything goes wrong what might go wrong and to be ready just to to cover all those cracks all the time
0: and it's obviously from the get- get-go that you actually had those skills to slot right in so congratulations to you on that one but just Thanks. to spool back to your to your education um you play an instrument your, yourself I presume what do, what do you play or do you play
1: Well, I grew up actually playing Irish music, but my classical instrument in in college and in Trinity was a clarinet and a little bit of piano, too. And I kind of put that aside as soon as I graduated because Dublin was so small, I wanted to be known as a conductor. So I still do play a little bit and play more with friends and sort of family, but not not professionally at all. And I miss that. But at the same time, it was the sacrifice I had to take to put myself forward as a conductor.
0: And did you learn to be a conductor in Trinity or what's involved in becoming a conductor? I presume it's more than just standing up and waving a baton around.
1: No, that was a hard decision because at 18, I decided that's what I wanted to do. But you can't study conducting as an undergraduate anywhere. You need this huge kind of training of music before you go anywhere. And I had decided music education was best for me because a it was a backup plan. You know, if conducting didn't work out or performing didn't work out, there was always the classroom or some aspect of teaching. So that was first. And then within the degree, there was a conducting module. And then there was the psychology of education, which I thought would work really well for the psychology of the orchestra and and working with people. So there was a lot of things that... That I made work for me within it that necessarily wouldn't have and then I was really fortunate that David Brophy was teaching in DIT at the time and um, I approached him at the end of one of my first classes and just said will you teach me how to conduct and he sort of looked at me (laughs) he said well have you got something to conduct and he said yeah I've just inherited a gospel choir so he said okay and David was brilliant to me he you know took me under my wing for for college and, and a little bit beyond that and I just made it my goal that when I wasn't studying for the degree I was conducting. So I spent my summers or my um, reading weeks or whatever at different courses all over Europe and, and America trying to upscale. So I sort of felt like I was doing two degrees at once. I was privately studying conducting and then needed the degree, obviously, too. And then in my final year, I was selected to conduct Trinity Orchestra. So that was really special. So finished, wrapped up my degree with that, which was lovely.
0: And Trinity Orchestra is really special. I mean, I've seen some of their works. It's not just your run-of-the-mill kind of town hall orchestra, is it? No,
1: it's fantastic. And I think what's so special is it's run by students, you know, they made all the decisions. And I've gone back once or twice since to help out with different things. And it's, it's so nice to see people just stepping up at such a young age. Obviously, at that age, you don't think you're young, you think you're ready to take on the world. But looking back on it now, you see these 19, 20 year olds running the show, working with huge promoters for big festivals, and then selling out concert halls as well. And fantastic, fantastic society.
0: And did you find Trinity a nurturing environment?
1: I found it incredibly difficult because I was doing both at once. And that's something I try not to regret because I am where I am today conducting wise. I think it would have been more nurturing if I allowed it to be. I was so gung-ho and trying to keep the two things going that I did. I exhausted myself and was very ill in the middle of, I think it had to take six weeks off. I kept getting a succession of kidney infections just because I was completely run out and trying to do too much. So yes and no, it wasn't for me, but that was my fault. I was doing too much and wasn't giving it the time it needed, but I have no regrets at the same time because I, I walked out with a great degree and ready to face the conducting world.
0: Okay. Um, That's a similar story that I've heard from other people, but it's usually when they're so focused on what they want to do. So how did you get that clarity of vision? Because so many people go through their lives kind of wandering, doing a bit of this, doing a bit of that. But you sound like you were so focused on being a conductor from the get go. Where did that come from?
1: My mom says I had it like as soon as I was born. I was I, apparently I told her at two that I wasn't wearing nappies anymore, and that was it. And I, she was I was out of that one. <laughs> yeah, but she sweat. She said she went around the supermarket sweating, just not knowing. And apparently, I've just always been independent and. My nickname in, in secondary school was Queen Betty because I was such a granny and I think looking back on it, it wasn't that I was a granny, I just really knew what I wanted to do and I was so focused and I've, I've always had it and it's very hard for me often to relate to people that aren't, which is something that I have to learn more uh, I really can't answer it thankfully I just been driven and that's that's it
0: and from the educational side do you is it challenging when you see people who have very different learning styles I presume most people are very auditory in your world but you know they're uh, just from the little I know of you know different people's learning styles that must be a challenge for you then when you see people who are kind of visual or auditory or people who can't sit down all that kind of thing is it is it a challenge? Uh,
1: it was a challenge I think i've I've definitely learned to to be more sympathetic and empathetic towards it and it, it's it's changed me, which I really appreciate and I've done a lot of work in the past couple of years with children with learning difficulties or disabilities in general and the elderly with cognitive things like Alzheimer's and dementia and so that's taught me a lot and it's actually really helped me within conducting and approaching people because we're not all the same and as an educator and even though I'm a conductor I'm still an educator with these orchestras it's my job to allow and to facilitate their learning so it has it's definitely been a challenge but it's something that's been really humbling to see because if we weren't all different then you know the world would be very very boring and it makes me learn things even more because because I really have to explain to, to different, different learners how things are. So it makes you think about all aspects. So something I'm grateful for.
0: Do you ever think about some of the uh, musicians or the composers that you've come across, that some of them may have been people with very different personalities, or they must have had some, like you think of the likes of Mozart, who's such a genius. Yeah. Does it make you think about things like that when you're looking at people's music? What was going on inside their mind when they were composing these pieces of music?
1: Yeah, and that's ultimately our job to really put ourselves, it's obvi- it's obviously harder with, um, it's much easier with living composers because you can speak to them and we're in the same society right now. But certainly it's our job to look at everything, to kind of even read literature from that time, if you can, um, and know what they were reading, know where they were at, know what they were thinking, what spectrum they were on or who they were influenced by. And that can be really difficult because sometimes there's no answers and then sometimes there are, but I think these genius types like Mozart, Beethoven, and, and even living composers, there was obviously something there that just made them completely focused because often, you know, you can't write an email <laughs> in the morning, yet they were churning out symphonies by the age of 12 and 14. So there's definitely something there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, poor, we lost Ennio uh, Morricone. And uh, it was interesting. I just heard so many people talking about him on the radio, but one of the comments I heard was he said that, You know, he he actually wrote at a relaxed pace by comparison with Bach because Bach was just churning them out. And yet we know the the amount of work that Morricone produced and and wrote. Yeah. Have you any favourite composers? Anybody you'd like to conduct?
1: Um, at the moment so somebody asked me that recently and at the moment I'm sort of so early on this journey I'm open to, to everything but I do find now just the age I'm at and and the journey I'm on that I'm understanding Brahms more which is something I would have struggled to understand earlier of course I love Mozart and Beethoven too and looking at Mozart when I was 20 I would have said oh gosh the music is so easy and while it looks easy on the page it's so complex and so as as I get older my opinions on things change so much um, I'm a huge fan of Mahler. Really love his music too, and and some of the Wagner operas. It it really changes depending on the mood, depending on what I'm working on, and depending what I'm immersed in at that point.
0: And why Brahms, by the way?
1: It's so he's so complex. He he took so long to produce his first symphony. He followed Beethoven, and obviously Beethoven was sort of seen as this this giant that changed the symphonic world and beethoven ended with his ninth symphony and Brahms was next and the pressure was on him to produce something amazing and he didn't produce his first symphony until he was 40 so that that kind of weight on him was 40 years building up and then he followed with three other amazing symphonies and the structure of it if you I'll compare it to, to Irish dance like we all grew up doing our one two threes and, and you go around eight times in the circle and most um, I won't say most but a lot of music is in that eight bar phrases and sometimes it might be three or seven and a little bit off kilter and you have to work it out but Brahms can take hours to work out the structure you don't hear it straight away and there's arguments arguments for where you could start to phrase or you might start it here and and that is such a challenge that I just couldn't face a couple of years ago where you know I was kind of on the surface of it but I'm really delving into it now and really enjoying it and then enjoying seeing how I'm changing through it which is why I like music too because you're forever learning you're never finished
0: it's always a challenge
1: yeah
0: tell me have you got a chance have you had a chance yet to conduct any Brahms pieces
1: no only in well I was supposed to actually be doing a big one in November which was sort of what what brought me into it. it is first symphony so I've done a lot in workshops and master classes but not with orchestra so I'm look, professional orchestra so I'm really looking forward to to that whenever that'll happen
0: and how do you manage to do those kind of things on zoom well at the
1: moment On Zoom, we're just sort of in a lot of planning meetings. Are we conducting? Not really, but we did have a very cool recording session over the last sort of two months where music director Tim was in London and I was here in Dublin. And we worked until 2, 3 a.m. on this project where in North Carolina, they brought in the musicians in groups of uh, six, up, up to six. And so we were on Zoom. And then there was a, a sound engineer and we had his sound feeding back into our computers and it was like being in a recording booth, but just across the Atlantic. <laughs> so we had to stop and start and put it together. And it was fascinating and we learned an awful lot. It was, is it something I'd like to do again? If it's something we have to do again, obviously we'll do whatever we have to do to make music. But I'm really longing to be back in the concert hall physically with the orchestra.
0: And with an audience too, I presume, that's one thing I see from all of these online performances, you really miss an orchestra, or sorry, an audience. It's like the football, it's not the same without the crowd cheering.
1: No, and the energy that you get, like no performance is the same because it depends on who you have in front of you and the energy that those people bring, but also the energy that the audience brings. It's palpable even when there's no applause between movements and then when there is applause, it's just incredible and without with different members in the audience a concert will be different even with the same piece of music so that's a huge challenge and we're they're doing a lot online digitally and it's great and it's great to see the members back and that's a starting point but ultimately to get back to having full forces of audience and orchestra is, is the goal really isn't
0: it absolutely so before north carolina what have you done since leaving uh, college fill us in what what have you been doing since leaving college
1: once I left Trinity I was offered a teaching job actually in in a secondary school in Lucan and I was teaching secondary school music through Irish and at the same time was going back and forth to London every second Friday for conducting lessons and really, really lucky which I think was sort of pushed me forward was I managed to get a a concert at least every three months with some of the bigger amateur groups in Dublin that kept me going and before I left for the States I had anywhere between you know one to three choirs, a concert band, two or three orchestras. I was out every night of the week it was sort of like a 14 hour day you'd get up go to school and then do all this work during the evenings and then in 2016 I was made conductor in training with the RTE working primarily with the RTE Philharmonic which was just amazing absolutely a big career change not career change but sort of a, a pivot for me that really really helped push me forward and at the same time then that was sort of I was coming up to five years out of college before I moved to the States and not really I was getting exhausted thinking how can I sustain this if I ever want a family? How can I keep these 12, 14 hour days going? Eating breakfast, lunch down there in the car, having a nap in the car before rehearsals. It was just crazy. So I started auditioning everywhere, primarily in the UK, in Holland. And then this opportunity came up in at Kent State in Ohio. Um, I found it on Facebook, would you believe? The professor no. was a friend of mine, yeah. The professor was a, a, a colleague, I'll say, that I had met a couple of years previously and had it up, you know, I'm looking for an assistant conductor. Basically, it was a master's programme where it was full scholarship and then they paid you to work for the university. So I acted as assistant conductor to the university while doing my master's. So I I texted him and I said, well, (laughs) any chance I can apply? And he sort of said, what are you doing looking to apply to this? I said, I need to get out of Ireland, it's too small. I can't sustain this financially or physically. So he said, well, come over and we'll have a look. So I went over and I think over 30 people applied and he took five to audition and I won. And wow. that was Congratulations. it.
0: Congratulations. That's fantastic. You must it have really hard. impressed them though. So all those kidney infections and all those weekends <laughs> paid off.
1: <laughs> but that, that's exactly it. And that's why I have no regrets. You learn to kind of take the good with the bad. Now, I did learn that I have to switch off and that's a huge and thing. You but you have completely mind your health physical and mental hmm. but had i not have put those hours in the four years in trinity and then the five years after i wouldn't have had the wealth of knowledge or experience that i had t- to to move to the States. And so moving at 28, which might be considered a little bit older to go back and do your master's. Some people go straight in. It was fantastic because I was going back knowing, okay, I'm not burning myself out. I'm only focusing on this. This is what I want. And I had the most fantastic two years that ended very quickly in March, obviously, like everything did. And then I, I finished online, but at the same time walked i'm walking into a full-time job which is sort of unheard of in music so i've no it was it was really tough sort of nine years say from starting trinity and and moving but no regrets at all completely worth it now
0: and uh one of the things we're always interested in this women in leadership podcast is the gender issue you haven't found or have you found any problems with being a woman as opposed to being a man i mean this the The image, the stereotype image we have is, you know, the man with wild hair and, you know, just standing up there shouting at people. That wouldn't be you at all, obviously. (laughs) So have you have you had any problems? or Has it been an advantage being a woman? Tell us about that aspect.
1: Yes, and no. Any any problems that I've encountered have actually been from the amateurs, which is um, really sad for our society, I think, when you see and it's come from older males, and there haven't been many and you learn to just walk away from it. In the professional side I haven't had much at all, thankfully, but at the same time I would consider myself quite resilient. So if there's been fleeting comments, I generally try to make a joke out of it or, or be the joke. It's easier to to grab the joke before it's made about you. I think I am quite lucky that at the moment, this female conductor thing is in fashion, but I also don't agree with it. And I want to, I hope that our society is in a place where we're considered conductors, not male or female and i would also and i have asked this on several occasions when i've won positions you know i hope i'm not the token female and i hope i'm not getting it and it's taken one or two people back and they've had to call me back on things and i've asked for you know the evidence why did i win this just just to make sure but i know myself my level and i know myself when it's fair and when it's not so i just keep keep thinking that because i would never want to be giving something as the token female But certainly compared to the likes of Maren Alsop or Joanne Fletta, these amazing female conductors that started their careers many years ago, they were up against it. And I'm just so thankful that they've paved the way for us and opened doors. And I don't think I realised, this is going to sound silly, but what a female conductor was. I just really wanted to be a conductor. And then... I booked tickets to the proms in 2013 and Maren Alsop was the first female to close the proms that year, but she was also doing um, a concert midway through the prom, proms, with proms actually. and. I was there with a friend of mine, and as soon as she walked out, I started to cry. And I, I would be quite an emotional person, but not in public. You know, it's your job to stand on the podium and be, and be quite stoic. And the tears started streaming, and <laughs> I turned to my friend and I said, Why am I crying? What's wrong with me? And then it dawned on me, I'd never actually seen a female conductor on that level on the podium. So that was quite emotional, but that was, you know, a good four years into my journey, five years in. Uh, so yeah it's been it's been interesting but it's good to see the gender disparity changing and as I said I, I would love to get to a place where we are conductors and not one or the other
0: yeah yeah and it, that's amazing and it's funny it's it's there that's why you're crying because it's underlying you didn't realize it but it's it's there you're exactly. always kind of you know at, well I always have the gender classes on anyway just <laughs> yeah. looking at things and uh, no that's fantastic you're, you're fascinating and I think you're only at the start of your your wonderful career so I'm delighted to meet you now rather than and <laughs> then be talking to somebody who's been there 20 years or something because you can feel the enthusiasm in your voice and everything and um, are you enthusiastic for the future and what do you think you'll bring to your new position and you know I know you're you're immersed in classical uh, repertoire but do you think you'll bring an Irish twist to it particularly uh, Irish folk music or you know Absolutely. or anything like that what do you hope to bring is there an Irish angle you hope to bring
1: well, my uh, my one dream was to conduct Miguel Osulon, who unfortunately passed away about 18 months ago now, I think at this point, I, my dream was always to conduct him with the orchestra. So unfortunately, I won't be able to relive that, But but absolutely. And I've managed to kind of even in programming insert bits of Irish music and hopefully bring in other artists, I think for me again that sort of rat race of those nine years was just incredible because I'm going to the table as yes as a conductor but I also ran all these ensembles for years and while it was really tough work and we encountered a lot of interesting and different difficult personalities that all helps you within it so now you're looking at it and you're saying well in Ireland and in England when you're part of an orchestra you almost end up being the librarian the arranger the hater, the admin because the there aren't those forces there. So going to the States, having that was just fantastic. And I'm delighted to bring those skills and they're delighted that they're there because most of the time they have to, to train that into a, a young and assistant conductor. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, the funny story I was going to tell you about my trial week was Tim was on the podium conducting and the a photographer came in and uh, he said, well, how did that sound afterwards? And I said, never mind the sound, Tim. Can you please take off your shoes and go down and take off those trousers? They need to be taken up an inch and that your shoes need to be polished. There's no way you're taking photos like that. And he looked at me. And so I went to the CEO and I said, is there shoe polished and sewing kit in the budget? She said, if it means that much to you, there is. So of course there was no sewing kit. We found a CVS on the corner and got duct tape. And so I duct taped up the lining of his trousers, and I polished his shoes. And I said, "Now this looks great. You've fantastic photos for the next three years. You don't have to blink." But then I looked at the front players and they were awful. I mean, they were grey, not black. So there's no way we're putting this out as the face of the organisation. So following all of this palava, the CEO said, "We want her." <laughs> and so I, feel, <laughs> I see. Let's. It's our job and we laugh about it now, but at the time, you know, tim says that's what you want you want your assistant conductor to have the coffee the sandwich the the bottle of coke the whatever it is that you the need and
0: the ability to <laughs> run cbs
1: <laughs> you need to be able to do you need to be able to see what needs to be fixed and fix it and i keep saying i want a me when i'm at that stage please god you know i want to have that person that sees those things and that probably comes from being driven too and i'm i'm incredibly organized to my detriment i think at sometimes but it makes you see hardly
0: what you know you'd have to be organized and <laughs> that's your job is it? Yeah. <laughs> to organize so I, the orchestra
1: that's exactly it so i think those those skills which i i'm not sure i really realized i had until they were challenged uh, I, i'm looking forward to just using all of them and um, being knee deep in it but unfortunately who knows when that is but at the same time music is bringing everybody through this really really difficult period and it has to come back around and i I keep saying to colleagues you know we haven't been through a war we haven't been through world war one and two and when you look at that and how music survived and how many people we lost and the conflict this is our war and this is our cross to carry and we're just you know hoping that within a year or two we'll be back with full concert halls bringing music to those and in the meantime we do the best we can giving them what we can in the safe environment
0: And it's really stretched people and made them think in new ways and even using technology in new ways. You know, we've been forced into it, but um, you know, there'll be positives from that too. Um, But we've had the technology and it's been so much better than say a hundred years ago with the, with the Spanish flu, as they called it, you know, People just died, and there was no proper treatment like there is now. And Absolutely. you know, I was listening to Luke O'Neill, Trinity man as well, talking about how you know it's it's led to a huge amount of cooperation. There's never been so much cooperation. Has there been a lot of cooperation between orchestras and musicians? You see musicians, uh, uh, you know, combining online. Have there been any sort of online uh, musical cooperations that you've noticed?
1: No absolutely and I think people are a lot more humble and a lot more open and they've more time which is something that I really hope people will will take from this you know to slow down and have time but I've certainly been a part of a number of different groups of conductors and of orchestras that are connecting and helping share resources helping share plans because worldwide it's so different you know Germany went back with its orchestras much earlier than anybody else and America still struggling some of shut down for the year almost and saying we're you know we're not coming back till September 2021 or whatever that is so there's been a lot of collaboration which I think is so important because we're not we shouldn't be competing we should be there to help each other unfortunately I think the way the economy is we will lose some organizations and my hope is that Whoever is is strongest can help those weaker ones and and keep it all ticking along. But certainly, from a conductor's perspective, where the world can be quite lonely because you know you are you're on your own and not that you can't be friends with the orchestra but it's like you know when you're your boss of a company it's the same thing it's quite solitary so it's been really nice to connect with different leaders just to see how they're coping with it or what their feedback is and as I said people have been a lot more honest about things which I've really appreciated you know they've expressed their failures more which we have to hear because I got an awful lot of no's and if I hadn't have got you know the 17 no's then I wouldn't be in america with this one yes and that's the one yes that i'm so glad that i got if i got the others i don't think i would be as as happy in my career so it's being honest about those things i think will really help the
0: future too great stuff and where to from here so you're going to stay what tell me the name of the orchestra again that you're currently with
1: Winston-Salem Symphony is who I'm currently with so you were with
0: Kent State Orchestra
1: Kent State in Ohio and then moving south to a little bit nicer winters and a little bit more sunshine uh, hopefully whenever that is but as I said for the moment it's all online and we're managing quite well late nights all right with the time change but it's amazing as you said with technology to see what you can do.
0: How many hours time difference do you have with the uh,
1: five hours? So they're they're still asleep right now. Five hours behind.
0: So you've got a head start on them. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we wrap up, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you. Tell me, what would your five pearls of wisdom be to anybody who wants to stay focused on a career and get ahead? What would your five bits of wisdom be or even life advice you'd give to people?
1: I think number one um, would be, you know, to sleep on it, to if, if something comes in and it throws you and you're upset about it or you're not sure how to deal with it, sleep on it. And then number two with that would be to have your board of directors, have your people that you really, really trust, your two or three people that won't give you the answer you want, but will give you the, the potentially the right answer and that you trust. And especially, as, as I said, as a conductor, being it a lonely career, having people there that you really trust that understand it is kind of imperative really and then learning to say no learning completely what's right for you or what's not right for you and that could be not wanting to take something on in your career or just learning to say no and then Learn learning to switch off learning to say no so you can't switch off and wh- while I was out for those six weeks in trinity and just burning the candle at both ends it was absolutely ridiculous and the world goes on nobody actually really cares if you're tired or you're not you know the world keeps ticking and it's no one will care it's up to you to stop yourself and take that one day a month or one day a week off or a couple of days a month off and that's been huge for me making sure that that's built in and sometimes with music of course it's not built in because you work over weekends and if that's the case then taking your two or three days off just to to switch off and turn those emails kind of off and then my last one is kind of doubled as well take a risk but also have a backup plan so music education to me was the backup plan and even in the two years at Kent State I was still giving Leaving Cert grinds, believe it or not on Skype and FaceTime, and that was money coming in. Uh, and I knew, regardless of how it went, I was keeping my finger in the door education wise. And so, thankfully, obviously, I'm walking into this job at Winston-Salem, but I kept thinking, well, at least I can go back into school if that doesn't work. So, taking the risk to move and just go for it, but knowing what your backup plan is.
0: Fantastic. Now, you kind of mentioned finances there with the money coming in. What was the best bit of financial advice you ever got?
1: Uh, one of my very early teachers said to me you're going to have to take a risk and that might be financial and so every bit of money that I had coming in when I was in Trinity I was also running my own music school in Wexford I I went down back down to my parents on a Friday Saturday and conducted a gospel choir on a Sunday and that funded the conducting education so that that was the risk I risked really not having a, a social life but having the money in to be able to go to these conducting courses and then as it went on you know your friends are saving or they're they're getting mortgages and this that or the other and I just was nowhere near and I'm still not anywhere near that because it was being plowed back into education and I suppose that was the financial risk that I took but I think you have to invest in it for it to come out the other side and then moving to the states was a huge risk because I was giving up so many so many jobs that I had a couple of really um, jobs that were coming in with income every two weeks and losing that was huge. Going back to it was a salary of seven and a half thousand dollars a year, I was barely covering your living expenses. Was it worth it 100%? And I'd do it again in a heartbeat if I had to, but being secure in taking that financial risk, however, taking that financial risk, you have to have your backup, and so they kind of go hand in hand. and I think learning to live with very little for what you want to get ultimately is a huge part and that's also a sacrifice but it worked out for me and i would 100% recommend it to anybody else just having your backup taking the risk and going for it
0: so you invested in yourself basically
1: yeah i think by the time there was like i spent thirty euro over the five years on conducting education which was huge when you think about it but i'm it was an investment and it worked out
0: where would you see yourself in, say, 20 years time, big picture? Do you want to be wow. like Marin Alsop or, or what is your goal? <laughs> <laughs> like if, if somebody was to wave a magic baton and say, you know, um, what, would, what orchestra would you like to conduct? Would it be Berlin Phil or um, the Proms or what would you like to do? gosh
1: that, I mean that's great isn't it the dream is the promise and the Berlin fail but I really want to be as music director of of a symphony orchestra what symphony orchestra obviously the dream would be to to have one of those top but honestly I, I want to have a really good work-life balance where I'm happy where I'm doing enough conducting and that I you know life is there as well and I've just always said I'll keep going until I can go no further and so far it's worked out and if Berlin is the goal then so be it <laughs> the promise is the goal so be it too so i'll just keep going as far as i can and and see where that see where that leads me and keep taking those risks but music director of my own orchestra would be fantastic
0: so let's um think about your own choice of music say if you're going out for a walk or a run or just to chill or even to get motivated what's your own go-to song
1: you're, going, I don't know whether you're going to be shocked or horrified but silence I do a lot of my work driving, walking in silence because I'm surrounded by music so much. If I'm just, you know, going on holidays or whatever, switching off, it'll generally be what I'm working on at that point and so at the moment probably I would say bronzer. I was working on a little bit of Debussy there during the week but ultimately when I want to switch off it's silence or an audiobook because with music while I love it I can't always enjoy it my head is always going you know 90 miles an hour trying to work out everything or compare recordings or pick out the flaws, which is terrible but that's your job your job is to pick out the flaws. so you can't always relax about it so for me uh chilling out is in silence
0: it must be hard to get silence in your head with so many thoughts and so many notes going around but um, it. obviously it's, it's a skill you you've got listen it's been a pleasure listening to you. you're phenomenal and i wish you the very very best with your career and thank you very much for being a guest on the Women in Leadership podcast
1: thanks so much thanks for reaching out it's been a pleasure my first podcast so I'm delighted
0: (laughs) that was Karen Nebrin from Wexford in Ireland this week's guest on the Women in Leadership podcast I love her financial advice about taking a risk and investing in yourself really good advice for every woman also her pearls of wisdom always have a backup plan Learn to say no and learn to switch off, which she learned the hard way. Always have some duct tape and a sewing kit handy too. Good lessons from Karen Neverin and we wish her all the best in her new career move. Do check out the back catalogue of podcasts. We have some amazing women featured there from all walks of life. Please get in touch with us with any comments, jaw droppers, or suggestions of interviewees. We're always interested in hearing from sponsors, too. You can email us info at womeninleadership.ie or through the website womeninleadership.ie. You can also follow us on social media, Leading Women Pod on Twitter. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti, and all the team here, goodbye and take care.